So I'm living out here in Los Angeles, California, the city of angels. If you've been listening for a while, or if you know me, you've probably figured that out by now. But also that I keep putting myself in situations where I'm challenged to do bold things. Even leaving everything I knew where I grew up in South Carolina and making the 2,000 plus mile trip to California almost 10 years ago was quite the leap. But I find more and more that people like myself, ones who chase after the adventure, seem to do it often and over and over again. But sometimes one finds themselves in a period of disillusionment, the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be, or things should be different at this age, or life should be you fill in the blank. I've found myself here lately, and maybe you have too. The times we're facing are unlike any that have been experienced in the history of humankind. This is dealing with the reality that what I had dreamed, what I imagined my world, my life would be like, is not panning out quite as expected. And that's that's a tough thing to deal with. I think we've all had to question life a little bit these last few years. The times we took for granted have turned into the times to learn to survive. So things we were working on were put on hold. Dreams we were dreaming slowly faded. We had to begin to begin again. No one has experienced what we are now. This is true. But it will always be true, won't it? As each day passes, we step forward into a time not created before, with the road unpaved and the future not yet decided. Speaking of roads and adventure, for the first time, I got to see what it felt like to ride a motorcycle. And not just ride, but to drive one. The full experience. Well, maybe not full yet. You see, I needed that next adventure. And I already hear my younger self saying, here it is, I've reached my midlife crisis. And I say to that, well, if there were ever a time to have a crisis, this is it. So I decided to buy a Vespa. You've seen them. Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck and Roman Holiday. Matt Damon and Gwyneth Paltrow and the talented Mr. Ripley. Even Charles Martin Smith crashing one in American Graffiti. So it's not quite a motorcycle, but still a very new way to travel about the world and still a powerful machine, and potentially a dangerous one, which is why I decided to take the motorcycle safety course, or what is called the MSF course. Two full days with a combination of classroom knowledge and quite a bit of time on a real motorcycle with some expert instructors. I remember getting on that bike for the first time and actually feeling the immense weight I was pulling into balance. This was a massive machine, For a moment, I wondered what I got myself into. But as the day went on, and as I listened to my instructors share their expertise on how to connect my body to this marvel of a machine, how to always be aware of my surroundings and to let my body, mind, and energy essentially be one with this bike, it almost became this natural thing that fell into place. Suddenly, here I was, 
driving this immensely complex marvel created by some really intelligent beings balanced on two wheels and really quite connected to the earth. The wind in my face, the sound of the engine roaring, and the several controls at my fingertips to give me control of this really cool experience. When it was time to stop, turn the engine off, and take a little break, I had a most calming and peaceful experience. Out of my bag, I took out a tuna fish sandwich I had packed along with a little Granny Smith apple. We were near the San Gabriel Mountains in the parking lot of a nearby elementary school. And as I looked up at these towering mountains, the clear skies and birds soaring past, there was a gentle breeze, and in this moment I felt what it was like to just be present, to just be there in that moment with no purpose other than to enjoy the moment of being alive. Some call it being in flow, and many find it on the two wheels of a motorbike, and I certainly did that weekend. Whether I'm picking up a new motorcycle for the first time or traveling across the country to find a new life, there are bound to be valleys and peaks along the way. But really, all it takes is to veer off one of those roads you've never taken before and saying yes to something that comes your way. My friend Andy certainly knows what it's like to find new things again and again. As a working actor here in Hollywood, he definitely knows what it's like to jump into someone else's skin for a bit. But he's also very aware of the diverse world around him and how to pick up on what might bring him another life adventure on the road. Like myself, he made the long trip across the country to the City of Angels, the land of the stars, after growing up in Miami, Florida, changing schools often, not setting his anchor down for very long. But what I found in my time talking with Andy is that he has found a way to anchor his life in the people he meets, the time he spends with them, and being really open to new ideas and new ways to think, to act, to live, and even to love. In a sort of Hollywood tale in itself, Andy and I met in a virtual sense, sending messages to one another here and there through Instagram on and off for almost five years now. We'd hype each other up on a post here and there. I'd encourage him with his milestones and his family, with his wife Rebecca and son Enzo, or getting that next role on your favorite TV soap, and even recently starting up his own real estate practice. While he would celebrate my awe-inspired joy in traveling the world, my journey to finding myself, finding that cool new shirt, and even making this podcast. I must admit, it was nice to have that little, small, consistent voice from time to time through my phone as a positive vibe to count on, and someone else to keep up with in these what proved to be sometimes lonely moments. Moments like back on that parking lot in the hills with a motorcycle between my legs, knowing the writing test was coming and the doubts of the mind began. And in the end, doubt won. And I ended up not passing that test. I have to admit, it was a pretty rough go on my ego, but Andy was the first person I called. I knew I'd get a little pep talk and a reality check on life. So, 
I'll get up. I'll get back on that bike. I'll get back into life and try again. Just as you'll hear from Andy in our conversation, no matter what our expectation of the world, of ourselves, of others, or what life is supposed to be bringing us, we're all in it together. We're all in the same boat of life trying to figure things out. And it helps to have a friend along the way. So please enjoy this really great talk. It's our first ever in-person together, just in conversation with my now real-life friend, Andy Martinez, Jr. First of all, first of all, before we begin, I don't really recognize you with a shirt on. Okay. Um, generally, when I see you on social media, you're shirtless, so that I, don't, I don't really recognize you. Really? Yeah. I don't feel like I have a lot of shirtless. Oh, that is a complete lie. Really? Yes. I, I'll, I'll go back and look. Just look at the grid. It's like mostly you shirtless. Me shirtless? Yeah, come on. Okay. Well, okay, right now there's a lot of real estate stuff on there. Yes, there is. But if you go a little <laughs> if you go a little further, I'm going to take a look at that. It's kind of, yeah. So, this is a, this is a very Hollywood story actually that's happening right now. Okay. Because um we've actually never met before. Nope. But somehow we met on social media. We met on Instagram, I think. Right. And we've just been kind of, we've developed an Instagram friendship. Yes. Uh, which is kind of wild. I think so. I, there, I do have a memory of early, early on of our friendship, which is maybe a couple of years now. Maybe. Three years? I don't know. I think so. Because the pandemic year was... Doesn't count. Right. And now we're in the third year of that. And... Our online friendship was before that, way before that. I got to go through the text exchange, the yeah, history. Right. Do you still have the whole chain? Of course. Okay. The DMs? Yeah. Yeah. Did I say anything sassy, romantic? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I did too. Um, I, I, but it, this, the mystery is still unsolved. I mean, I went through all of it. Well, some things don't need to be answered. I just think it's a cool story. I just well, think it's, wow. I mean, that doesn't really happen that often. But I think it's you're open to making connections. I think that even through social media, um, you can kind of get pick up a sense of people. Mm. And, um, you know, there's so many people out there. And um, I don't know, maybe there's definitely uh, a genuine quality that I'm typically attracted to mm -hmm. in people. I think you carry that um, and possibly came across uh, strong enough in your... Um, you know, in your work, you're mm. not as shirtless as I am. <laughs> I am now. <laughs> well, you look great. You've been working out. You yeah. got those bicep selfies coming up. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, and I think in this world, even though we've been together talking on and off through social media, mm -hmm. you know, two to three years, you sort of see people's lives and pictures, yeah. the type of content they put out, what their interests are. Mm -hmm. um, and you can kind of weed out you know, who you're going to vibe with or who you may not vibe with. Yeah. Well, and the fact that we're both in the same town. Yeah, it's helpful. And we, you know, sort of like the same things or interested in just experiencing life the same way in our mm -hmm. own ways. Okay, enough about social media. Yep. But um, you grew up, you said, in Miami? I did. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that. What was life like for little Andy? Ugh. All right. So the non... Uh, 
the opposite of Instagram, the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my, I was born in Miami, 1977. Uh, my parents got married. I think my mom was 18. My dad was like 25. I think my mom, they got married in like December 76. I showed up in September of 77. So I basically I grew up in a divorced household, broken household, they, some people call it. And you know, I lived in a lot of homes. I went to I think like 13, 14 schools. I went to pretty much a new school mm, every year in the same lot. community. And that was because you were moving around a lot? I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, um, my parents sort of, you know, bickering. They'd send me to go live with my grandparents. My grandfather was a military guy. He would help me get my academics in order, mm-hmm. discipline me. I did that for a year. Then I'd go to another school. My dad would bounce me between, um, you know, my mom couldn't afford a private school. My dad's business started doing better. He would put me in a private school. My parents would bicker. I would move. Somebody would move. I'd go to another school. And then when I got to high school, I was a really, uh, I was a good athlete, but baseball was my sport. And um, somehow or another, I just started getting bounced around from one baseball program to a better baseball program. And then one of those better baseball programs, I had long hair. I was listening to rock and roll. I was smoking dope. They didn't understand me. They kind of hated me. And then I went to another school where they sort of accepted me enough because I was uh, way more talented than any other athlete they had on their team. And they were okay with the long hair, the loud music. Um, so I think I went to like four high schools. Mm. Yeah. So that was kind of me growing up. I was all over the place. I didn't really have a lot of friend, like strong friendships. You know, there, I was moving around a lot. Mm-hmm. There was no cell phone. There was no Facebook. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't really have my first friend, who's still my my closest buddy. I met him uh, freshman year. So that was kind of like the first time that I realized, you know, that I had a, a, a friendship. But the other years going through elementary school, you know, I, it was, it was kind of hard. Show up to school. I'm kind of disheveled. A little wild. I get beat up a lot, shoved around a lot, picked yeah. on a lot. I had a big mouth. Mm, um, I have that in common with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't. Uh, I always kind of had a. I love people. Um, my dad is really good about that. My dad is a pretty social guy. So like you know, kids that would get picked on. I was kind of like a big, doofy guy. Kids that would get picked on. Like, I automatically knew I would sit at that table. They would accept me. Some bully would come over, you know, start giving them shit. And it was always easier for me to defend somebody else than to defend me. So if you were picking on me, I really wouldn't do much. But you put a hand on my friend, mm. I'm going to stand up, I smack you. And mm. I, get a, I get defensive about my people, protective. Mm. You, and you think that that's still happening now? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I take care... I try to do my best for the people that come into my world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a cornerstone of, of like my, you know, my father always took care of his employees when times were tough. Uh, you know, he would make sure everybody got paid and we would like go through the drawer, count the pennies, go down to Wendy's and get a 69 cent cheeseburger. Yeah. Um, my mom is like that. Um, Man, Wendy's is where it's at. I love Wendy's. Yeah, still do. I did that a few months ago. Yeah. So your dad owned a business? Yeah, my father started, um, he's a CPA, um, 
and he started his own accounting practice. Okay. Somewhere in there, nineteen mid eighties, I think. Mm-hmm. So growing up in Miami in the mid eighties uh, was a was a little uh, different. You know, there was a lot going on with. Uh, you know the the drug world and mm-hmm. a lot of that money was coming in and mm-hmm. you know you start seeing a lot of speedboats <laughs> um but there's so much to do mm. and growing up i was a uh, you know i was playing even when i just focused on baseball i usually played on two or two or three different teams at a time mm. so the weekends you know i wasn't going to the beach or going boating with that crowd my crowd was you know the baseball crowd you know tournaments yeah. things like that so i just I didn't really grow up around people uh, that had the boats. Did you, did you find any camaraderie in your baseball teams or anything like that? I do now. Um, we were talking about, you know, one of the things that the angles that you had on your podcast was sort of reaching back out to old friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's something to do with our age or, but I, I've been doing that lately. Yeah. And there's four guys that I reconnected with from high school that we all played baseball together. And it's amazing what the fuck they remember. And I don't <laughs> <laughs> totally. I've had that experience too. Especially the first time we got together, all four of us, I, I reached out to all of them and all of them showed up. So the five of us who hadn't seen each other in 20 years, we're catching up and it was sort of just, uh, I've been a long time since I heard other people talked about me in a way that I hadn't thought about myself in a very long time. Mm. Yeah. And it was inspiring. Um, what I, did you learn about yourself from that? I learned that um, I had, you know, you, you change, but you don't notice the changes in you. Other people do. Mm. And a lot of the qualities that I used to really uh, like about myself um, that made me, you know, wild or crazy and some of those you know now as an adult have turned into uh, ambitious or tenacity or resilience that have really helped me you know navigate through you know this crazy uh, life in Los Angeles the entertainment industry and the other things that I do the things that they loved about me um, some of those you know maybe became dormant in time and they Mm. reminded me Mm. And I was like, yeah, I used to do that. Or yeah, I was a little bit more fearless. And I'm like, you know, fuck yeah, I'm going to go back to LA. I'm going to bring a lot of that shit back. Mm-hmm. We're on a nice long text exchange ever since uh, that first meeting. And every now and again, you know, I just tell them how grateful I am to, you know, having them back in my life because they sort of remind me of, you know, uh, if anybody was going to go out to LA and do all that crazy shit, it was going to be Martinez. You know, fucking Andy. He's fucking out in L.A. Of course he's out in fucking L.A. <laughs> Who else is it going to be? Yeah. Um, and it and it motivates me. Mm-hmm. And they still believe in me. Mm. Um, and it's nice. I've had similar um, thoughts, actually. When I go, I've, I just went, made a trip back home. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of the, some of the similar things uh, about, yeah, of course you went out to L.A. Like, you know, I was this, they do this comparative thing about, uh, you're, you were never afraid to just go for it. Like if I was kind of sheepish or something, you're just like, let's go. Like stories I would hear that would demonstrate that over and over. Like one time I was in Bulgaria <laughs> on a choir trip and I was with a, one of my best friends 
and we were staying in the same hotel room or something. I'm like, let's go out. Let's go explore. And we got completely lost because it's Bulgaria and we can't read anything and there's no map. And this is before GPS and all that stuff. And so I remember I could see the town. I could see it over the hill. And there was like this mountain in between us, like these trees. I'm like, let's just go through the, the trees. So we're like climbing, we're like hiking through this mountain, through this like rainforest of <laughs> of woods. <laughs> and my friend is completely freaking out. Like, we've got to go back. We're getting lost. We're off the map. I don't know where we are. I'm like, oh no, it's fine. We're just going to keep following the boom boom of the club music that we hear. And we'll, we'll get there. It'll be fine. And that was, and he was like, that was the difference between us always. You were always wanting to just go for it. Like, yeah, let's just go do it. Which is hilarious because now I have so many, as an almost 40-year-old now, so many fears that are now my first thought. Yep. And a lot of that ambition and adventurous self is kind of back there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's still here and underneath, but I kind of needed to be reminded, like you said. Um, I wanted to share with you, when you mentioned baseball, um, my parents forced me into sports um, all through my childhood. And I hated it most of the time. So, I mean, every single one, like, we went to the local YMCA for all of them. So, like, basketball, baseball, swimming, like, all of them. Every every season, whatever one it was. Taekwondo. Yeah, all of that. Even that. <laughs> totally that. Except we went to this something called Vijitsu, which was, like, this fake martial arts. But because it had a Christian edge to it, we were allowed to go do it. Okay. Whatever. Um, I only learned one little move or something. Right. So I can defend myself if you stand completely still and punch with your right hand only and don't move. I know what to do. I'm going to, should we try that now or <laughs> we can do it after? Um, but if you do anything else, I don't know what to do. There's this one season when it was baseball season and we like waited too long to sign up. So there weren't any spots left. So we're like, oh man, you really want to sign him up for baseball? And I was kind of like, yeah, I don't have to do it. But um, they said, well, there's actually, there's this one team. It's actually a Catholic school that has kind of joined into the Y to compete with the different teams. And um, if they let you join their team, you can be on their team. Kind of a wild arrangement. So like, okay, so we tried it out. And I remember going to this school, like we drove to the school where they were having practice and it was this little Catholic school. And um, I was like scared to death to meet these people because number one, you're going, you're infiltrating into this like already established friendship circle right. with these kids. Plus they're boys. I was afraid of boys. Are you even Catholic? No. There you go. No, not, not at all. No, you didn't even have that going for you. No, <laughs> nothing, no connections. And also Catholics were to me at that time were this foreign, I didn't know anything about, you know, I didn't know what to expect. So I get to the, uh, the school, they're like, practicing or something for my first practice and I didn't know what to expect. I go to the dugout and this kid reaches out his hand. He's like, Hey, and he says, I'm so-and-so welcome to the team. I was not expecting that. And so like throughout that season, I was like scared to death of disappointing the team. Cause like, Oh, like they had this whole reputation of their team is on the line. And here's this kid that doesn't even like baseball. That's on their team. And I remember I was terrible. Like I couldn't swing the bat, couldn't catch things. I was like really bad. And all I got from them was acceptance and encouragement. Mm -hmm. And uh, those were like one of my first experiences of like a team thing. 
and I kind of got it, you know, like, oh, wow. And it was this little sport from this little Catholic school team, and we'd compete around and play and stuff, but there was always pats on the back, and uh, I think even one time I was like, hey, I kind of want to, like, I want to pitch this practice. <laughs> I wouldn't know what that was. Let's let Justin pitch. And they did. Like, all right, let's let him pitch. And I was, of course, completely terrible. Yeah. I did it once, and I realized, okay, this isn't for me. But they let me do it. And uh, so I bring that up to say that was like a really kind of positive experience I had from from playing a sport, from playing baseball specifically. Yep. And baseball was a sport that my grandfather loved. Mm-hmm. He like watched it on TV every time it was on. You know, the game's on. That was it. His Atlanta Braves were his team. Right. So <clears throat> did you have any sort of similar experience with that or what brought what? Draw, drew you toward baseball. You know, baseball is a hard subject for me. It just, okay. it, it ended, it didn't end quite the way, again, I went to so many schools. I played on so many different teams. There was a lot of kids that I came in and out of my life, and a lot of those kids played together for years. Mm. But I would bounce around. And, you know, what you were saying about your, your small Catholic school, and um, that's kind of what I found as I got when I finally went to um, the school I graduated from, uh, St. Brendan, and it was the first time where I kind of played baseball and I had a good time and I could relax. And mm-hmm. the guys in the field, they all played with kind of a love for the game. There was a couple of guys that went on to play college and, and, and professional baseball, but it, it wasn't like uh, the whole team was expected to achieve that level. Um, and I was able to like kind of relax and just play and they let me be creative and do some theater, do have a band, start some music. Mm. It wasn't so baseball, baseball, baseball. Yeah. And those guys are the ones that I went back and actually reconnected with. Um, mm. And that was a great experience. And I yeah. got to graduate from a, a good school and I still have some friends. Um, and I could, I have not come back to my high school reunion. Um, Neither but have I. I just keep most of the time it was just because I was too poor to go back at that time of the Mm. year. But um, probably the next one they have around, I am looking forward to going back. I've seen a lot of them and been chatting with them on, you know, social media. Again, it's a wonderful tool. And it's amazing when you reach out or you make a comment about a kid or this and that. And it's like you get the long response saying, oh, my God, Andy Martinez. Or you remember that time? And I'm like. You had an asthma attack in the backseat of my car when you told me you didn't smoke weed. We smogged up the car and you started choking to death and I had to drop you off at your parents' house and explain to them you had an asthma attack. <laughs> and I'm like, you remember that? Oh, my god! I'm like, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> um, uh, well, those are, yeah, those are always cool stories. Yeah. Um, and I was going to ask you, so you said, so, is that when is that when you would say the little um, acorn of acting was into you? you you mentioned you were in theater yeah um you know my my dad and i um we we did two things basically all the time either we it was baseball or movies mm. so uh and my dad you know i remember we'd go to the movies and we'd see like uh there was like the daughter movie theater and you can get a double feature and we'd oh, go yeah. see uh yeah. fantasia and then we would watch rambo right after rambo your man rambo yeah and, um, you know, baseball um, kind of always kind of had a, a wedge and a weight to it with our relationship. Um, 
So sometimes that could get really kind of uh, heavy and hard for me. But we would go to the movies and we loved movies. And that we that was always easy because mm. we we'd talk about the movies. We loved the movies. Um, so I think maybe some of that had to do with it. You always want to please your dad. Um, sports was not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but yet we could sit down and watch, you know, any Rocky movie, any Rambo movie and uh, and get through uh, get through the evening. Yeah. So I think that was kind of the start of it. So did you do you do you remember a time where you're like acting is kind of what I want to go towards for a bit? I don't know if there was like a, a particular moment. I just know that, you know, part of, you know, in hindsight, right, you know, I could say people will tell me all day, well, going to all those schools, that must have been hard or the trauma or the, the you know, that that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've gotten older, I'm like, man, what a kind of what a gift. Every every year, sometimes twice in a year, I'm the new kid and I got to go into a room full of fucking kids mm. and you got it's it's going to go one of two ways. Either they're going to love you or they're going to fucking hate me. And sometimes they hated me and sometimes they loved me. I got better at, you know, just being new and walking up to strangers. I kind of learned that mm. um, the easiest way for me to have a, a social life at school was to accept those and become a part of those that were not accepted. You know, misfits. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um and um, I think it just kind of prepared me for the rest of my life and um, and my curiosity for people um, and what kind of interested them or the ability to sort of have a, a vast conversation on a, you know, a variety of subjects. Um, that, that to me was probably uh, one of the greatest things that uh, I got from that experience. I think the first time I remember being on a stage uh, was my kindergarten graduation and it was like had to walk out on the stage and hold like a, a, a cutout of a puppy and I had to say something a puppy but 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 whatever and uh <laughs> kindergarten yeah it was, wow it's on it's speaking of the camera right it was my uncle had a one of the first recorders and um <laughs> I remember like you know you had to put on the uh the cap and gown and uh, which was kind of like a costume for me right and my my head, I have a gigantic head. My head was too big for my cap. And the teacher had to cut the back of the cap on and then scotch tape it to my head. <laughs> and you can't see it when I'm addressing, you know, the crowd, the audience. But when I turned around, you can see all the glare from the tape on the back of my head. <laughs> and I remember walking up the stage and my dad cracking up. Oh, my gosh. In the audience. Yeah. Um, and it was the first time, like, that I can remember at least, you know, making people laugh even if it was at you know at my cost um and then like I did a catholic play and I was so excited they put me as the role of Joseph and I was in the manger and it was the holidays and they basically cut a hole in the middle of a of an old shitty dusty dusty carpet they put it over my head I stood there with a stick in front of a manger I had no dialogue my job was to stand there Mm -hmm. still and my parents were there for like 90 minutes In this gigantic, you know, in this full cathedral, oh, yeah, sure. watching me stand still. And in the video, I, my dad's doing his commentary, and they're like, there's my son, the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, wow. So, I mean, little moments like that. Yeah. Uh, the I, fact I, that you remember that, wow. Because, you know, you remember 
for me, uh, you, you know, like just those moments where you can genuinely uh, sort of please, uh, for me, you know, please your parents. Mm. Um, my mom, it was easier to, you know, my mom, the, the Latina mom, it was really easy mm. to please. It got easier to please my dad as I got older, but I think he got softer. But it was, I felt like when I was growing up, it was, it was harder to do. So those few moments where I could get that, you know, acknowledgement, mm. they, they stick more in your mind. Sure. At what point, bring me up to speed of when you decided to go west and do the LA dream thing. So I probably stuck around longer than I should have. I, you know, I, I, I got drafted by the Chicago White Sox. I had a bunch of scholarships. I said, fuck it, I'm not playing baseball anymore. Everybody was going to college. And um, so I signed up at Mammy Dade, now college, but back then it was a junior college. I was at the window. There was this really cute girl in front of me picking her classes. Back then you had to be in the window and, and pick classes. I heard her pick her classes and... Um, you picked the same classes? I got to the window <laughs> and they told me I needed to pick an elective. Uh -huh. I was like, what's an elective? And they're like, well, you got to pick like an art class. Yeah, or, yeah. And I heard her say theater. Mm. And I said, oh, is, is theater an elective? And she was like, yes. And I was like, can you put me in her class? <laughs> and um, well, good move. And she did. And, um, you know, a week or two later, I was in, a, in my first, you know, theater setting with a bunch of kids that were there to be, you know, art department or writers or aspiring directors. And, you know, walking away from that window it just made sense. Of course, I'm going to a theater class. Like, duh. It just hadn't occurred to me that that was an option. You know, mm. you, something you did in high school or junior high, you know, mm -hmm, um, but mm -hmm. not, you can do this in college. Mm. So it just led me into that world. And it, you know, took me from there to, you know, creative writing classes and, um, and my first uh, plays. So how long did that last? The, I think I did okay my first semester of school and the, the January that we came back, the state of Florida made a change where all of a sudden, if you were absent too many days, they would lower a letter grade. And it was for like junior colleges. And I was coming in that first semester where you just grab a syllabus, I could show up for tests or turn in assignments, put it in the teacher's box and move on. Mm. Now they were docking me for like not showing up. And I would sign up for like a 6 a.m. class. Oh my God. And not show up. Of course not. So 6 a.m.? Because I needed a job. So I started working at a law firm part time. Um, and wow. uh, so I take these early morning classes. I would, I would not show up. Mm -hmm. And um, I started familiar. flunking out of school. Okay. Yeah. So, so I flunked out of theater. Uh -huh. And then I think I took like a year off. I did some acting classes like on South Beach. I found like a commercial class. And then I tried to go back to college because everybody started graduating. And I flunked out again. I was in the middle of a play. It was a two-person play called The Wool Gatherer by William Master Simone. They were going to kick me out of the play because I was flunking out. Teacher said, it's a two-person play. There's no understudy. You shut down. You take him out. You shut down the whole production. So they let me finish the play. Saving the production. And uh, teacher looked at me one day and she said, you don't need a degree to, to make movies. And I looked at her like, what? I don't need a degree? <laughs> She's like, no. Yeah. And uh, said, fuck, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. So I moved uh, to South Beach. I was auditioning a little bit and this, I had this random uh, person 
in my life at the time. And um, she went to go get a job somewhere and uh, a real attractive girl. And when she, I was waiting for her at a little coffee house on Lincoln Road. And when she, um, when she came down the elevator with this man who was flirting with her, and it turned out that um, he was the second unit director for the Fast and the Furious sequel mm. that was going to start filming in Miami. And uh, she said, oh, you know, my, my boyfriend is, is an actor. And uh, I was standing right outside the door. She introduced me to him, and he said, uh, you're an actor? And I said, yeah. And he goes, do you know anything about stand-in work? I said, no. And uh, he said, well, we need stand-ins. Can you, can you just stand there and take direction? I said, absolutely. He said, go upstairs, tell the casting director, whatever her name was, it's a big casting director, I should know her name, um, that I sent you and um, start working on the film. So a couple days later, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm standing next to John Singleton and Paul Walker and Cole Hauser and Eva Mendez and Little Haiti in Miami on the first day of production wow. in the middle of chaos mm -hmm. um, as a stand-in. And they didn't have any other stand-ins. So I was standing in for... Multiple roles. Uh, for, I was standing in there for, for Eva. Everything. Oh, wow. The girls, the guys, yeah. um, the goons. And... Uh, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That's but wild. It was great. Yeah. I did that for three months. Huh. Yep. And I, you know, again, those little moments in your life that you look back and you go, had that not happened, mm. uh, the the director of photography um, was uh, Matt Leonetti and this other gentleman who was the, the key lighting guy named, I think his name was Jeff. I didn't know what I was fucking doing. They guided me through the day, mm -hmm. and and at the end of the evening, uh, Matt, I hope he's uh, if he's you know if he's still alive, thank you. Um, he said to me, "Hey, good night, kid. I'll see you tomorrow." And I was like, "Oh, I, I don't know if I'm working tomorrow, sir. Uh, I wasn't told. I thought I was just there for the day." Yeah, yeah. And he said, "Can you work tomorrow?" And I said, "Yeah, I can work whenever you want me to work." And he walked me up to this head PA named Josue Aguilar, and uh, he he told Josue, "Whenever this kid can work, he works." And I got a voucher for the day. I signed off on it. I worked on that production every day. I went on the road with them. Wow. And I stood next to John Singleton for that whole period, you know, just watching him and watching him direct. And it was like a fantastic education. I was getting paid yeah. to be on set. And uh, Paul Walker was super gracious, um, introduced me to his managers his agents, they all gave me their business cards. You know, they all told me that shit. You come out to LA, you give me a call. Mm -hmm. And um, after uh, after the film wrapped, I had like I don't know three, four, five thousand dollars saved up, and I thought, yeah, I can do this. It's fucking great. And uh, packed up my Toyota, put my thirty-two inch television in the front seat, <laughs> <laughs> and drove across the country. And I think I was maybe. Maybe 24. Yeah. yeah. Your most prized possession was your television. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> there was about a moment there, an hour into my drive, where I real, you know, I can't look out the, <laughs> the, the, the side view mirror, and I got another 2,900 miles to go. Oh my gosh! But uh, it made it with me. That's incredible, actually. Yep. yep. Yeah. Wow. So that was that your first time on a film set? Yeah, um, you know, yeah, I'd done a, a couple small commercials, um, but but that was your first like it was a big film, legit. Yeah, yeah I okay. mean, it was a big film. high budget, 
Oh, big time. I've oh, never, no. I've only done, I've only been on another set like that. Um, but uh, that was, you know, that was big. And, totally. Um, yeah. That's the biggest of the big. Yeah. I was doing a bunch of illegal shit that I wouldn't, there was no, knowing now what it, <laughs> if, if I knew this then, I mean, I was driving the cars, I was doing stunts. The, they were putting us in picture cars and having us haul ass down the freeway. No and way. And I'm like thinking about that, like that would just never fly today. No. And, uh, you know, these cars were not designed to, uh, they had special cars designed for, you know, the stunt sequences and the racing. Mm-hmm. These were just cars that were supposed to look good and we're doing 100 miles an hour on the turnpike and the guy in the f- helicopter screaming through the radio, go faster. And these cars didn't even have fucking seatbelts. And they had stand-ins wow. and doubles in the car driving. And you're one of them. And I'm one of them. And if you look really close, you can see my hand holding on to the fucking roof of the... For dear life. Uh, yep, yeah, basically. Yeah. Basically. Wow. Yep. So uh, help me out here. This was around what year, you think? I think that movie came out in like 2002. Yeah, that sounds... Yeah. So we must have filmed it... four, but... 2001 or yeah. 2002. It was after 9-11. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow, what an experience. Yep. Did you find, I know that I always found there's like this energy on a film set. There's like this magical thing that you experience. Mm -hmm. Did you feel, what did you feel? I mean, what was your experience on that first time? That, that, that particular project? I mean, it was, um, you know, you might as well have thrown me into like a Hobbit movie. It's it's another world and it's a culture and there's a language Mm -hmm. and there's a rhythm. Totally. Um, and there's a, there's a, uh, you know, there's a commander and then there's the subordinates and there's the mm-hmm, chain of command. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I found it to be very militaristic. Yeah. Like you just don't, and that's sort of kind of what I liked about it. Mm-hmm. Like your, your job was very clear. You didn't have to have a whole lot of creativity, really. You just followed orders really. Yeah. At least on my side, on the production end, yeah. as an actor, you have a little bit more creative energy, but, um, I kind of liked that. I've actually never been, still haven't been in an, in a workplace where people just did what they're supposed to do. Yeah. I don't think you ever will. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I love that the machine works Mm -hmm. because you do what you're supposed to do. You know, it certainly gave me, um, a lot of respect for the amount of work and effort that goes into all of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're in LA now. I am. Um, in the storyline of things. I am. You still have your TV, thank God. Yep. Do you have like a first memory of what that was like? Or maybe you want to talk about your first kind of job where you thought, oh, I can do this. I mean, I've had so many um, different experiences. Um, but, you know, when I first moved to LA, um, I had a family member uh, who had a connection through work to uh, an actor named uh, Tony Plana. And um, he's basically been a working actor out of Miami <clears throat> since the, the 70s. And I don't, I'm not sure what he's on now, but he, he's been just around and on everything. And, um, you know, they arranged a phone call. And when I got to L.A., I got to L.A. a day earlier than I should have. And um, a friend of mine made an arrangement where I could stay with a family in Studio City in, in a guest house. So I had a house to go to. Oh, nice. In Studio City. It yeah. was a nice place. Yeah. I was in LA for fucking 10 minutes and I and had my first celebrity sighting. 
and I thought, oh my God, I'm in LA. Everybody's famous. It's going to all work out. <laughs> um, and I was on the phone. I got Tony on the phone. He talked to me for about five minutes. And um, he, I said, all right, what do I do now? And all he said to me was, survive. Just survive. Mm. And fuck, was he right? Um, you know, that, that three or $4,000 that I had in my pocket did not last very long. Mm-hmm. I rented a studio apartment in Hollywood just off of Bronson, south of Hollywood, um, 17 years ago. Um, I'm sure that the only reason they rented me the apartment was because I had a valid social security card and ID. Hmm. Um, and um, that, you know, that studio apartment with no AC, living on the floor with my 32 inch television. Oh, yeah. That was my. Um, that was kind of my first real introduction into like, okay, this is what my life is at this moment. Yeah. Because those two weeks in Studio City were nice. Yeah. And cushy. Yes. And, uh, but uh, when I got into Hollywood, I was like, all right, this is, this is really happening. The quest was over. The drive was over. Now it's time to survive. Now it's time to like, all right, figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I got to LA and landed, mm-hmm. my room, I had a room, I like, had an arrangement to live with some roommates. My rent was like super cheap. It was mm-hmm. like four seventy five or something. There was also like four other people living there, but it was doable, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes, <laughs> um, if I made enough money that month. And uh, I remember l- going to sleep when I got there. I was so exhausted, and I had an. I brought with me. I had an air mattress. And like a couple things, a couple boxes, my dog and my friend. Mm-hmm. And I remember the next morning waking up. It was in Echo Park. Um, right at like the lake. And um, I remember waking up, looking out the blinds and seeing the city skyline of mm-hmm. LA. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm here. Yep. I woke up in LA. I'm in my blow up mattress on the floor, but I'm here. All I have to do is survive one year. If I survive a year like this, I'll be fine. And here I am like 10 years later. Yep. That's wild to me, actually. Yeah. yeah. There's a, you know, there's, I don't know if it's a, a snobby thing, but you know, when somebody tells me they've been in LA for like two years, or <laughs> I roll my eyes kind of. But, you know, when start, people start telling me five years, six years, seven years, eight years, there's a different level of respect that I have for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think we call it paying your dues or having, you know, you can have that understanding. Yeah. Um, it's not an easy place to live in. It's hard as fuck. Yeah. You know, we, we are in one of the most competitive <laughs> industries on the planet. It's the only industry you can be a part of that they can discriminate. You're too mm. tall. You're mm-hmm. too fat. You're too short. You're too ugly. If you're yeah. a PA, you're not fast enough. Yeah. I don't like the way you look at me. Yeah. And then, you know, just get fired. Totally. Um, And it's the only industry where you will, most people, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, people will take a whole lot of bullshit and abuse and come back the next day for more Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, because they love the business um, and, you know, the pot of gold at the other end if they can get to it. Um, I always felt like L.A. is like a land of misfit toys. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think you mentioned misfits too, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and we're all sort of searching for our 
true selves on a consistent basis, like always. Or maybe um, as a musician, I used to tell my students, um, musicians are strange people because we are always striving for 100% perfection, knowing we'll never get there. But that's always like the drive. Right. And it's the same for here, like any kind of, especially in the industry, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so why do you think, why do you think that you've been here so long and why do you think people come here and just like, like you said, like put up with all that stuff and still go for it? I've lasted this long. Um, you know, there's been plenty of times I wanted to leave and quit and I have um but when um when I got with uh my son's mom um you know we there was a moment there where we were looking at moving to New Orleans there was a an entertainment thing happening there I had already had a little bit of a resume I had reached out to some agents in the area they would be really excited to have me they didn't have people like me down there and they didn't have and down there I was you know I had experience and had a resume and a body of work so Right now, I'm probably here, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that this is where, you know, God and the universe wanted me, but, I, you know, in hindsight, when when things started to go sour between my son's mom and I, she didn't want to go anywhere else. You know, she wanted to stay here. She had gotten a great job here. And, you know, I wasn't going to leave. So I'm like, well, fuck, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to keep auditioning. I've been out here 17, 18 years, and I always tell people, in the history that I've been out here, I may have missed, I may have missed a total of of 10 auditions, ever. Mm. I've left jobs, I've left in the middle of work, I've called in dead, <laughs> and and gone to my auditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I just remember, you know, I, I promised myself... Um, and my mom and my family, you know, that, and my wife, Rebecca and, and, you know, Enzo and and his mom that, you know, a lot of these people have struggled with me. You know, it's not just me that Mm. has gone through heartache and hard times. You know, I'm sure it didn't make my mom very happy knowing that I was sleeping on the floor, um, that I maybe didn't have food to eat. Um, you know, I, I, I come from a good family but, you know, my mom would throw a check in the mail or she would go to the bank and put like, you know, 50 bucks in my account. Mm, um, mm. And, you know, I think for me, a lot of things that could have been really, really hard and, and, and is hard for a lot of other people um, was a little less hard for me because I did. I know I had love and I know I had support. And um, even when my son came around, I was dirt fucking poor. But I always knew like, hey, if I needed 50 bucks to buy, you know, formula or some shit. I can call my mom or I can call my dad and, you know, mm-hmm. and then this wonderful thing called Amazon happened and all of a sudden like my mom is sending my, my kid clothes. So, right, right. so, um, not, not to say that, you know, there still isn't the will and the, the fortitude and, and, and wanting to be successful and, and keep dr- that driving force, but I had support, um, and still have support. And after all these years, that I've been out here, you know, I still have, I have these relationships with people that I know have been out here just as long or longer and are still going after it. And, uh, and it's, it inspires me and they motivate Mm, me. Absolutely. 
So what what are some things that we would know that you're you're on from? <sighs> Man, usually I tell people if you can recognize me from anything on TV, you're watching too much TV. <laughs> um, but oh wait, but tell but, us some things you've worked on. Yeah, I mean I've been on, you know, my first I think my first professional LA gig um, was I played a I played an FBI agent. And uh, named Andy, <laughs> she she called me by my name on the show for uh, General Hospital, mm. and it was a one-liner. And uh, she asked me something, and my response was, "They they taped the whole thing." And she said, "Thank you, Andy." And that was <laughs> that was my uh, that was my break. Nice. Um, and um, was Andy on purpose? Did you know, my name it it wasn't written. Okay. We were just talking on set before we filmed. Yeah. She called me Andy, and it was one take. It just stuck. I find that that happens a lot, actually, for like yeah. uh, roles that are written in last minute or if there's not a character name. Mm-hmm. So I've seen that a lot on TV shows that they'll just call the call them by their actor's yeah. name. Yeah. It's anyway, the only going. time that ever happened to me. Okay. Um, but Mark Teschner, who's got to be one of the most decorated casting directors in history, I, I think he's he's got to have like I don't know thirty Emmys. Wow. Um, you know, cast me. In that role, and um, and I've done, I've gone back and done another, I don't know, nine, ten episodes for General Hospital. Um, so what's that like? Can we pause there for a second? Go for it. So uh, that's a pretty popular show. I mean, that show's been around since how for how long? Well, I think that one's been around for like, I don't know, thirty, forty years. Yeah. Um, I've done Days of Our Lives. I've done, I think, more episodes on Days of Our Lives. That one's been around for 50 oh, okay. years. okay. So you've done other... I've done them all. Soap soaps. The yeah. only one I'm missing... Uh-huh. Look, I did all my children. Yeah. I, I have, like... You know, these are all appearing... These are not background roles. These are, you know, what they call under fives, co-stars. Okay. Um, So it's under fives, five lines or less. Okay. So I've done... Probably did about a dozen of those on All My Children. Uh, certainly about 10 on General Hospital... Certainly about 20 on The Young and the Restless. Certainly 30 on Days of Our Lives. All as a cop. I am the cop that <laughs> misplaces evidence, uh-huh. forgot to handcuff the guy, don't know why I they took my squad car. I've even been a hand passing off a cheeseburger. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've done all these, you know, these co-star roles on all the soaps. But I'm like, and I write them and I'm like, listen. I've been on four of the last five soaps, all as a cop. I'm like, <laughs> can you just do me a solid, just give me one word, one opportunity in a uniform, just so that I can get my appearance on the bold and the beautiful. Mm. So I can sit on Jimmy Fallon's couch and say, I am the worst cop in television history. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done it on five different shows. You're, you know? always, the, you're always the bad cop. I, I don't think anybody else... At least to my knowledge, in in the soap world, has been a, has made an appearance at my level as a police officer on four different shows and that you know take place in four different communities. Right. And I just want to be you know uh, just be known, if anything, just give me that. Well, I must say, you I have not seen any of the actual shows that you've been on as a cop, mm-hmm. but I do remember from your Instagram going to the lot or dressing in some sort of. Yeah. Yeah. You make a good cop. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you got something going on with that. Yeah. Maybe it's like the mischief. Maybe there's some mischief going on there that they're casting you for. You know, I do. I play bad guys 
pretty well too. Or mysterious, like I think I got that look where yeah, I can, you know, cops and bad guys. Some people will tell you there's, you know, the line is real thin. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, you got to think alike, right? Understand each other, right? I think the soap world is a little has a little mystery around it. Mm -hmm. What's it like working on a on a soap? Is it is it very is it unlike any other or is it yeah um I would imagine so it would be. you know I don't know soap some sometimes like you know soap actors they get uh, a really bad rap sometimes you know like the right you know the acting's cheesy or the writing is cheesy and all that yeah but some of the best roles have come from soap actors absolutely yeah um and I think that the soap world is uh these you're on set and you're blocking a scene and they just got nine pages two hours ago mm. and there's like five people in a scene and they are running lines and doing this dialogue and blocking and doing all this work yeah. in such a short amount of time that especially in the beginning when I started watching this, I was like, oh my God, there's just no way I could, especially, you know, I'm coming from the Fast and the Furious, right? So you get your pages mm-hmm. and you're work, you're spending like, two days working on right, one page right right and these people are banging out nine pages in yeah in 20 minutes yeah and and there's no forgiveness you know there's like no take three four or five there's it's like one or two takes and then these people are all on it and you see the amount of work and time and effort that goes into their craft um and talk about professionalism it's so fast there's not a lot of time to fuck around so they're on it and mm. i was watching these people work and i'm on the set with them and you know i just it made me realize like i need to really up my game and focus on you know my technique and my process and when i do get these opportunities to come work with these people be prepared um because it's unforgiving well that's the biggest difference between tv and film right like especially if it's episodic Mm -hmm. Like the right, the writing is happening for the next episode while they're shooting the current one. It's just like this revolving sure. door. I don't know if it was a sports thing growing up. Um, I never really wanted to know who the who the pitcher was on the other team or mm. who the opposition was or how good they were. I didn't want the I didn't want to let that ever get into my mindset. I just wanted to go out and do my thing. Yeah. Um, and it didn't matter who I was playing against. When I got into entertainment, um, a lot of people get really fascinated by you know, the artists and the actors and the shows and they can name all the characters. Mm -hmm. And I think I just kind of blocked all that out um, and not worry about like, oh my God, I'm doing a scene today with Christian Alfonso, you know, and she's so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. I'm just like, I'm going to go in there. Do your thing. Hit my mark, find my light. Right. You know, don't fuck up my line. And and let me find out who she is afterwards. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But, and that's the thing maybe I was thinking about, about drive and why we're all still here. Yeah. I'm not in that mindset anymore. I decided to get out of that, mm-hmm. you know, but I remember making the transition from being a salaried employee as a teacher was guaranteed going to get paid, mm-hmm. right? To making the decision to you're not going to get paid unless you get a phone call. Mm-hmm. That was hugely scary for me. Mm-hmm. And, but I also remember talking to someone that's a very successful art director to this day. And I remember asking her like, should I keep a job and just take gigs or should I just, you know? And she's like, well, financially, yeah, if it, 
if it scares you, you should probably keep a job. However, you can't really make the transition over to film unless you're like, that's what you do. And you're just waiting for that call. Mm -hmm. Like you have to fully commit and just jump into the deep end. Mm -hmm. So I remember I eventually did that and that was hugely scary, but you're really just, you're just waiting for that next call. Yeah. And it always could be, all you need is one call really. Yeah. That's going to be the one that, you know, and I wonder if that's something that we're all kind of waiting for. Mm hmm. And in that in that training that you talked about where we're all, everybody here is fully trained in survival, mm-hmm. you know? And whatever it takes to, I mean, I remember I'll be in my apartment and just getting a call from some random number and I picked it up because mm-hmm. it could be anybody that yep. someone knew some name and saw me somewhere. Yep. And it usually would be, hey, this is so-and-so, can you work today? But we need you here in like an hour. Yep, be there. I didn't even know what the project was. Yeah, I'll be there. But you're kind of just always waiting for that next thing, right? Like Tom Petty says, the waiting is the hardest part. Yeah, right. Um, You know, that happened. We, we, Rebecca and I, we, you know, basically been working for ourselves um, since, since the beginning. Uh And, um, and the, I did those jobs you know, where acting back then, you know, you my agent would page me, <laughs> pull over. Oh, yeah. Find a quarter. Oh, yeah. Gosh, of course. Um, I remember those days, the pay phones. You know, run across town, make sure I had a black and white headshot in the car. Mm-hmm. Go to my audition, mm-hmm. wait in the line, sign in, all that shit. So when I got to L.A., you know, I was I did I did the typical I waited tables. I catered, bartended, um, and, you know, like my last, probably the most meaningful uh, job of my life um, was my, you know, four years as an Uber driver. And I did that. And um, yeah, I did too. Yeah. The Uber years were just fucking horrendous. Mm, I remember those years too. They were the, they were the best, but they were the worst years of my life. Yeah. So sad. Mm -hmm. You know, depression, anxiety. I would go out and drive to like pay a cell phone bill. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, yep. which I needed to pay so that I can get, you know, mm-hmm. my prompts for working. Um, you know, it, Uber was in a, it was in a entertaining, uh, in hindsight, you know, you think that, that at that point, you know, I, I, I have this book, um, and I'll say it for the first time publicly here. Um, because maybe it'll get me to finish it. <laughs> um, On the Fuzzcast, you're getting a premiere? So, you know, I've been calling this book um, Uber, Uber Driver Millionaire. And um, wow, the, there, was a, there was a night when I was driving, and um, I, was, I, was, I restarted driving. I got invited to a, a movie premiere called Live Nude Girls. And it was at, uh, there's that club... On Vine, next to the Bradbury or the the Redbury, or the Turnberry, whatever that hotel is, they have a lot of. It's a it's like a nightclub. But okay. a, anyways, um, they were doing this movie premiere. This guy named Mike Hatton, and this is one of my one is one of my favorite my favorite little Hollywood stories, B movie. This guy, you know, put it together, produced it, invited me, and 
at that time, I, f I think I had a movie that I had just finished, something you can watch on Amazon. It's called American Bread. I'm the, I'm the lead in it. It's come, good. It's good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mike says, you know, come down. And um, we had our kids went to the same preschool. So that's how I kind of met him. And uh, he was nice enough to invite me down. And, you know, I got to do the red carpet. And by that time, you know, I, I knew a couple of the red carpet photographer guys. And I'm very social. And a couple of them said, Andy, when you come out, I'm going to say, I'm going to start screaming your name and you stop and you stop in front of me. And when I start shooting your picture, everybody <laughs> else is going to start taking your picture. Uh -huh. And yeah, uh, that's how I work. And uh, so I was standing in line. Um, and oh, so the Uber part of this story, I'm going to this movie premiere. I don't have any money in my pocket. I don't have any money on, a, on my debit account. I don't have any money. And I go, I'm going to drive around for like two hours, pick up a few passengers. Oh, wow. And then I'm going to have whatever I earn. You, at that point, they had put that instant pay thing mm -hmm. on the app where you could pay yourself right away. Yeah. So I think I got like, you know, $40 in those two hours. Mm. It was one of those shit drives where I went all the way up to the Hollywood Hills and then just brought somebody back down to the bottom of the yeah. hill. Those are the best. Oh, fuck. And, um, and then I had, you know, enough money to cash out it was like 20 bucks yeah and i parked my car like two blocks away in the dark where i don't have to pay for parking i walk over i'm looking cool i think that picture is on instagram and um i look like i'm i'm i look like a wreck i look like i'm stoned um i don't i don't do pot but anyways um and i'm standing in this line and i was thinking to myself everybody in front of me is a star and they're all going to recognize that i'm a fake and i'm mm. um i don't belong here and I'm talking with this cute girl in front of me and I'm having this great conversation with her and I'm wondering, she must be on a TV series or she must be an actress and she must be all the shit. And when her turn came up on the carpet, everybody took her picture. My heart is racing. I go out there, Guillermo says, Andy, over here. He takes a few of my pictures. Click, click. Who is this guy? Click. <laughs> I got like three or four snaps of me mm -hmm. and I go into the club. I go up to the bar. I order what I think is going to be the cheapest thing I can afford. I didn't want to walk around empty-handed. Right. It's like a Bud Light. Yeah. Paid like $9. <laughs> so there went an yeah. hour of LA driving. Prices, yeah. Gave the guy a dollar tip. And um, look around. I'm looking for Mike. And um, I bump into my buddy, Adam Hendershot, who is the my photographer for all this shit in my house. And um, what are you doing here, Adam? He did the photo shoot for the poster board. Cool. So mm. now I'm hanging with a buddy. I feel a little bit better. Yeah. I see Mike. Mike says, hey, thanks for coming. You're going to stay for the movie? No, I have other things I got to take care of. I'm going to sit there and tell him I got to go Uber. <laughs> right? Oh I'm sipping gosh. on my Bud Light, making yeah. that shit last. And um, uh -huh. I hung out for a little bit. Adam knows I'm an Uber driver. And I'm telling my boy, um, hey, man, yeah, I got to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pick up some, some rides. And um, I dump half my beer in the trash, I go outside, I FaceTime with Rebecca, who was living in Denver at the, at the time, begging her to come back. I turn on the, I say, okay, I gotta go drive. I gotta go drive now, baby. Uh, I would cry on the fucking phone. And uh, I turn on the Uber app, and I get a prompt, right? And I make a U-turn, I go down to Vine, and it's like kind of the corner of Hollywood and Vine, just south of that mm -hmm. venue. Yeah. And as I'm approaching Hollywood and Vine, Uber knows me as Andres. The theater world knows, or the entertainment world knows me as Andy. Uh-huh. And when I'm getting to the corner, who's at the corner? Oh my god! It's the fucking chick that was standing in front of me the whole time. Who's the TV star? She's mm. a movie star. And I go to, I'm like, I roll up. I'm thinking about canceling it. 
And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I roll up. She's like sticking her head in the window. And she's like, Andy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm Andres. And she's like, oh, my God, you're my driver. What a coincidence. She jumps back in the car. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, she knows the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an Uber driver. I'm not yeah. a TV star. I'm not yeah. this. I don't belong there. Yeah. All the shit that goes through my mind. And um, I turn on the app. And then when you turn it on, it tells you where you're going. And um, she was going to, I believe, in my memory, it was to Kitchen 24 in West Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I said, "Oh, you're going out. You're going to dinner." <laughs> she says, "She says no. I'm 20 minutes late for my shift." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, you you work there?" And I think, yeah. She's like, "Yeah, I'm the hostess, and I'll, you know, I'll serve and this and that. I'm in training and this shit." And I'm thinking to myself, all this mm. falseness and bullshit, anxiety, and this girl and and, in, and we're on the red carpet and we're at Mike's thing. Um, we're all in the same boat. Yeah. And we can all be on the red carpet. Yeah. And, you know, going back to Instagram we were talking about earlier, you know, on the red carpet, this false illusion of what we think we are and others are. And really, at the end of the day, we're all kind of on the same boat, in the same boat. Going back to Mike Hatton, story of resilience. So, you know, he makes that movie and he's full full-time entertainment guy trying to make things happen a mm-hmm. couple years later um he's he's on stage uh accepting uh an oscar for best picture um for best ensemble cast or whatever um and he was in the the green book do you remember that movie with my green book. malik okay yeah him um and then vigo mortensen okay and they go like on a he's a musician that and sounds familiar Vigo's his driver yeah, yeah. And Mike is is one of the musicians in his band and, you know, in the movie. Okay. And I'm like, here we go from, you know, this seedy little Hollywood and Vine club where he's trying to, you know, he's in the hustle. We put this movie together. Yeah. And just within a matter of, I don't know, maybe three or four years, if we look it up, um, he, he's on stage, you know, with an yeah. Oscar in his hand. Yeah. And I was like, how awesome is that? Yeah. Um, and um, going back to... You know, tipping my cap to Hollywood. I mean, stories like that, I mean, is what kind of helps keep me here and think like yourself. It's just one phone call. Mm-hmm. And you never know where that phone call is going to come from. Do you want to hear a phone call story? Yeah, All I right. do. I do. So I'm in that same preschool um, where I was talking about earlier. And um, I had these friends of mine that... They were trying to, you know, they would make short films. And the first one we made was okay. The next one was not so good. The, the one after that, I was like, wow, we're, we're really going in the wrong direction here. <laughs> and I remember saying, I'm never, I'm never going to do a film with these guys again. Mm-hmm. They called me one day and they said, hey, we got this other idea we want to do. It'll be great for you. And, um, and there's a part in there for your son, for Enzo, who's a, maybe a year or two old. And they sent me the script and it was really cute. And they were casting another friend of mine named Kristen Nundio, who's a great actor, who's a journey, he's been here forever. Um, and Chris had a kid about my, Endo's age. So we were both going to be dads. We both going to have our kids. I was going to work with my other friend uh, who's producing the film with his wife. And, you know, and it was a really cute little fun story um, about dads, actor dads in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I, you know, shot like for two or three days. Um, it was a lot of fun and never thought about it again. Um, they put it together. I don't know if it went to YouTube. I'm, I'm, I'm walking in to pick up my kid from preschool, and Chuck calls me. <laughs> he says, 
you're gonna get a phone call from Captain America. Pick up the phone and and you know it's Captain America. Just say yes, you're available to work. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, just just answer the phone. Just I'm I'm working. I'm with a client. I'm working. Just answer the phone. I'm like, all right. I hang up the phone. And like 10 seconds later, my phone rings again from a, a weird number. Yeah. I answer the phone. And it's some guy's like, hello, is this Andy Martinez? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, my name is so-and-so, and I'm calling from the project Freezer Burn. And I'm like, what? Freezer Burn. And I'm like, I didn't audition for a Freezer Burner. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's, uh, you know, the alias name for this projection. What I can tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a Marvel film, and the directors are uh, Anthony and Joe Russo. Now I'm looking around for, like, the, 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 the cameras, oh right? Oh, my gosh, yeah. To pop out and, you know, gotcha. And um, I said, all right, well, you know, I, 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 I don't remember auditioning for this, and, but I'm available. And they said, you have an agent. And um, I'm no longer with these people, but there was this agent who used to take my fitness classes when I taught at the gym. And he was a big, big agent for a big office. And I would always say, like, dude, can you get me in? Can you get me in? <laughs> and um, he never, you know, nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. But I knew his number. Yeah. And I'm like, I got an agent. <laughs> Yes. And I just gave them this guy's number, uh, Milton. And uh, he hung up the phone. And about, you know, I go in to get Enzo and I'm dragging him out. And my phone rings again from another number. And it's Milton. And he's like, hey, I just got a call from Captain America. Uh, they want to know if you can work tomorrow. And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. And he's like, how the fuck did you get that? I'm like, I have no idea. So the the what happens is Chuck has this short film that he made and he started personal training uh, one of the Russo brothers and he showed, he sent the link or something to the Anthony Russo, I believe. And the wife saw it with him, thought it was really cute. It was the last day of shooting reshoots. And there was like a couple of these guard roles that needed to get filled or he just made them up. I don't know, mm -hmm. but he booked us and we show up to, the old LA Times uh, news building in downtown LA. Yeah, It's the last day of production. There's filet mignon, there's lobsters. They gave me and Chuck these gigantic trailers. Oh my gosh. They put us in costume. You know, we're getting paid, I think it was like 1,500 or 2,000 bucks to be there. And um, they walk us up to set. There's thousands of guards and cops in costume and we're being escorted to the set because now we're going to film our scene with Scarlett Johansson and oh, all this shit. Yeah, yeah. And we walk up to the set, my heart's racing, and um, and uh, I think it's Anthony Russo um, walks up to us and says, hey guys, thank you so much for taking the time to come here at the last minute, we really appreciate <laughs> it. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, Anthony Russo is fucking thanking me for taking the time out of my day to be on a Marvel movie set? Are you out of your fucking mind? Is this happening right now? Wow. And um, and there's Scarlett Johansson and and you know and, yeah you, and, you're just in a dream sequence right now. It's just like it seems like you. I keep waiting for you know just the the the, the camera, you know, gotcha, to, or someone running. There's a mistake. Yeah, there's yeah. a mistake. Yeah, we got the wrong guys. Yeah, yeah. And uh, wow. Um, so in the edit, um, you can barely see us. We're there, mm -hmm. but like you gotta like freeze frame and look <laughs> at it. But the really great thing is, A, um, I Who still get cares? residuals. Yeah. I get my residuals. Yeah. And But if you sit through the through the cast credits, you know, I, I have a credit on a Marvel movie. Amazing. And my name is above Gary Sinise's name. I don't know why. Hmm. But it's like 
Chuck's name, Capitol Hill guard number one. I think I'm Capitol Hill guard number two. And then I believe it's Gary Sinise. Whoa. Um, and just with that simple credit before podcasts and this whole thing started happening, all of a sudden like people were wanted to interview me and they wanted to know like insider things or what my role was or how I got the role. And so interesting. This, this shit was happening and I'm like, Hey, I can only talk to you for another 10 minutes. Cause I got to go like bartend. <laughs> <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. She was a dream to work with. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, Marvel secrets. Yeah. You know, yeah, that was one time and the phone rings, you know, uh, you gotta, you gotta have faith in anything that you do that, that if you put in the work and you work hard and, um, you, you, you work with integrity and even in, even though it may, doesn't happen uh, right away, you gotta believe that the phone is going to ring and it's not just that the phone is going to ring. Um, it's just that you need to put the work in yeah. in order to get the sequence going to get the person to dial your number. But also what I'm hearing you say is sometimes you just say yes to things you really don't want to do. Sure. Because that's what led you to get that role. You did some little dad cute thing yeah. that you didn't like, why am yeah. I doing this? Yeah. And that led to something else that led to something sure. else. That, right? Yeah. It's uh, Stacy Dash said that to me one time. I never forgot it, right? It's like if you look back on all the connections you've had of why you're here, mm-hmm. and it's because you said yes to something. So, you know, there's you know, the uh, the app Headspace. Mm-hmm. There's a little thing that popped up on Headspace that says, write down what is your intention for this year? And I was like, huh, I never, I, I don't know actually. So I thought about it for a little bit, and I, with everything going on, um, I wrote down, say yes to moments of joy Mm -hmm. because you never know where that's going to lead. Nope. Yeah. My, my, my editors putting together 105 little videos that we put together from this road trip and the opening 105. Yeah. A little, you know, those include moments where I'm like, you know, it's 30 seconds of me talking to Rebecca, but, um, he, uh, you know, basically our road trip with my neighbors across the way, um, I, it started with that. I was looking at Rebecca and I'm like, we were just talking about like saying yes to things. And then we got this opportunity like an hour later to travel with some strangers. And we said yes. And we mm-hmm. then we spent New Year's with a, another family of strangers. Um, and now we're like forever bonded with these people. Um, and... My, my intention uh, for the year, you know, I guess, uh, is to say yes. Uh, the other thing that I, I wanted to do with more intention this year is uh, figure out ways to help people um, just be more successful in whatever they're doing. And what can I give back to them? Because I got enough gray in my hair. Mm. Uh, I've realized that when I reach back out to those that want to, that have reached out to me, even if it's casual, mm-hmm. right? They, they put that out there. Um, I find that the most, uh, the biggest adventure comes from reaching back out and saying, okay, I'll take you up on that. Let's go have, you know, dinner. Let's go on vacation, you know, come over. Do a let's, podcast. Let's do a podcast. Let's have dinner. Let's have dinner. Um, and 
and for most of those people um, who I might only see maybe once, twice a year, it doesn't really matter, you know, because I know that the next time I see them, mm-hmm. you know, it's you get the big hug and oh my god, and you know, let's it's good to see you and all the bullshit and all the dating and all that crap. We don't need to do that because um, you have like these these couple these few moments that uh, that justify your friendship and and, um, and you can bond. Yeah, yeah, man. So one last question. Go for it. What is the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning? Mm. And then what keeps you awake at night? Same, the same thing that, that, that wakes me up in the morning. (laughs) Um, you know, the, the, the least, uh, charming thing to say is, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning and the first thing I want to do is roll over on my wife, basically. (laughs) Okay. Uh, and the last thing I want to do before I go to bed is, is roll over on my wife. (laughs) It gives me those moments with her, um, kind of give me the most mental peace. Um, and I try to just focus on her. Um, and outside of, you know, that, um, you know, when I wake up in the morning, the very first thing that goes through my mind is I woke up. <laughs> not, not everybody did. Mm. Um, I look over at her and she's breathing, snoring, mouth open, drooling. You know, she's okay. She's still in bed. You know, she's alive. She still loves me. I put my feet on the floor you know, I walk down the hall, my kid, I open the door. I'm like, hey, buddy, it's time to get up to go to school. I don't want to get up. You know, my kid, he's up. He's healthy. He's in the room next door. Um, And I just start from this place of, like, all the important things in my life. Because I can have, you know, anything I want, millions of dollars, cars, travel. Every, all those things are not going to matter if she's not healthy, if my son's not healthy. Um, So just getting through those first you know few minutes of my morning puts me in a place of of uh, gratitude and you know if if my body's not hurting and I'm not sick um you know I, in my mind I'm just ready to fucking take on the day whatever gets thrown at me I know that everything that's important to me um is okay usually um the best feeling I have in the evenings is you know around nine o'clock I tuck them in he still will give me a little kiss in the mouth, you know, calls me data, gives me a hug, likes his stuffed animals, uh, and I put him to bed. That's important to me. Um, and then, you know, just being able to go to bed next to next to her and have somebody that is loving, supportive, uh, tries at least to understand me and make sense of me um, and gives me comfort when I'm uncomfortable, brings me peace when I'm scared, um, you know, those are the things that I think about when I go to, when I wake up and go to bed, you know, um, and the day in between, you know, I, I have goals and things that I want to accomplish and I don't always write them down, but they're always at the, you know, whatever I need to accomplish for the day. Most of the important things they go on the board, but, um, you know, my mission during the day, especially lately is, you know, um, you know, how do I, what am I going to do today that, you know, it's easy to say, what can I do today that's going to make my life better or their life better? But, you know, I think about, you know, what can I do today to make somebody else's life better? And it doesn't have to be uh, somebody that I know um, mm. that, you know, 
that to me is kind of the work that we should all be putting into our days. Well, uh, thanks for putting me on the board. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, inviting me over. Yep. And, um, you know, I feel like I know you already. I know this is our first time in person meeting each other, but, um, I want to say I feel I'm really proud of you, man. Mm. I'm proud of all the things we've talked about knowing a little bit more about you, but over the time we've known each other, really, you've just, just as a human being and just the accomplishments you've had and your willingness to keep going and see the positiveness of life. Um, yeah, I'm proud of you for being who you are. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It makes things a lot. Uh, I wasn't always like that. Um, you know, social media, all the highlights of your life. Um, you know, there were some things that I thank God I didn't get on camera because mm. um, there's super there are things that I'm super not proud of. There's things that I said to her that I remember saying and make me sick to my stomach sometimes when they randomly pop into my mind. Mm. Um, and um, we can all get in that dark place. Yeah. But... You know, you change your mindset. Um, Even more so a reason to be proud of yeah, where you I mean, are. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's hard for me to say, you know, but be proud. I, you know, I'm proud of, I'm, you know, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of my, my kid. I know that they're a reflection of who I am in my life. And, you know, uh, I, 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 I just, I feel humbled. Yeah. I mean, you told me that what it says a lot about me that my friends picked me up and gave me money sure. and stuff like that. Well, it says a lot about you that you were willing to meet an Instagram friend and have them come into your home and talk to them for two hours. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. but we, we sort of, you know, felt each other out mm-hmm. um, through through it. And, um, you know, uh, I might have been weird, but, you know, you were never weird. And, <laughs> um, or we were just weird together. That's fine. Sure. Yeah. You know, we're weird like everybody else is weird. Yeah. Um, but you're... you're you know, you, what you're doing and your demeanor and, and kind of like your energy coming off of, uh, you know, and also, you know, in your podcast, I've also been listening to your voice more, right? And podcast, it's it's auditory. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even seeing you. I'm just hearing you. You're, you're plugged right into my brain. And um, so that brought a lot of comfort. Um, and, uh, you know, it was... It was it just felt uh, the energy was compelling me to say, you know, Fuzz Baker, something about that guy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to get to know him better. Yeah. So here we are. Well, let's do more of that with more people, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think reach out more. And Make you're doing, I think you're doing a, a great, the, the reason, the most important thing that I ask people is why do they do things? And you had a really nice, why you started this podcast Mm. um and it it might morph into a bunch of other things and i know you're in entertainment and all that stuff but i thought it was really kind of neat to hear you say i want to reach back out to certain people in my life and sort of reconnect with them in this way yeah and i think that that's really uh charming and uh and interesting in a world where podcasts and all this other media shit is saturated with Jim selfies. Yeah. I think your idea is, uh, is genuine and, uh, and is going to be way more relatable to people than, than you can 
probably imagine. Yeah, let's let's bring it. Well, you this is your show. You bring it. <laughs> yeah, you're already doing it. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. And maybe we'll do a part two next yeah, year. Maybe. Yeah. It'll be uh. Yeah, I can talk forever. I can see that. Yeah, I think we both can. Yeah, I think so. All right. Thanks, Andy. My pleasure. Okay. Good luck. Great. All right. <laughs>